And good evening. This is Dave Messina. I'm covering for Josh. And uh, with me is uh, Dan Oaks. Greetings. And Alex Suarez. Alex should be studying, but uh, we'll give him a bye for an hour. I'm doing homework right now as we speak. Excellent. The master multitasker. So Josh oh, shared Jesus. a couple a couple of things with us uh, to start off. We have, uh, if you saw in the uh, general discord that we've uh, announced the uh, imminent uh, offering of uh, two t-shirts, one for freestyle and one for racing. And uh, I'm really excited about this. This is uh, the artwork is by uh, Miss Creature, who is uh, a an F FPV pilot herself. Uh, as well as uh, an auto mechanic, which uh, uh, I share that, uh, that that love of cars and uh, love her artwork. We're excited to be uh, bringing those out. Uh, it looks like we'll have them available approximately the middle of this month, and uh, so uh, we'll we'll say we'll be uh, uh, we'll make sure that that announcement is at least on Facebook, as uh, well as a number of, uh, of other. Um, of other vehicles. Yes, and, I posted uh, you, posted the picture again in the general chat. The one on the left is the design for the freestyle t-shirt, and the one on the right-hand side is the design for the racing t-shirt. And everybody needs to get one of each, right? <laughs> That's right. Right. So these are going to be high quality. These are lots of, lots of colors on these, and uh, we'll put them on uh, gray, 100% cotton. Uh, like gray because the uh, the colors pop uh, very nicely so excited yeah, about should, that they should get some people's attention if you're walking around with that shirt hopefully some fellow fpv pilots will recognize it and ask you about it yeah and, and, and this creature's can... art, artwork is distinctive what's that alex and then when they ask you about it you can point to the website link on the shirt for, <laughs> for other people to get one exactly that's it that's it. And let's see, did Very we crap. we did get the the fpvfc.org like sticker, yep, in some of those designs. And it says fpv fpvfc.org all over the yeah. all over the artwork. So, we're really uh, grateful how many times uh Christy put that uh, in in the art. Another fun uh very positive uh, piece of work is uh, James Christensen. If uh, you, uh, I posted a couple times uh, on our Facebook group about uh, his James documentary called Flow State, and he's uh, won a an award, and that's uh, so he he uh, had the documentary completed, and then the way this works is you take uh, your your documentary around to film festivals, and you enter it in competitions, and we're happy to say that he he's won a uh, uh, an award. Um, the the name of the award uh, is slipping my mind. Uh, but, let's uh, see this award from the picture. It says the best documentary award from the Mile High International Film Festival. There, there you go. And if you look at the Thank screenshot you. you shared, there was three other awards on that image as well. Um, yeah, as he cited, you know, yet another award. So yeah. Really yeah. happy to see it. It also says Best Cinematography from the Golden Gate International Film Festival, which I think that was the one where you could watch it online and their mm -hmm. uh, the demand crashed their system basically. <laughs> Great. Uh, Best Feature Documentary from Las Vegas Independent Film Festival and 
an award winner from the FIFF London. So I don't know an award, what an award winner means. Uh, nothing specific, just you won an award. Participation trophy. But yeah, that, it the, sounds uh, like this is exactly the plan, get a bunch of these awards, and then that helps them get the attention of Netflix and Amazon to try to get it onto those platforms as well. Right, right. We had the pleasure of uh, working with James at the, uh, on the uh, chapter eight of the documentary. So uh, uh, I was, I was uh, flattered that it uh, talked to us as well. So that's, uh, so there's a mention of uh, FPVFC in the in flow state uh, credits as well. So that's, yeah, uh, I just hope the, the movie does make it to something like Netflix or Amazon before the drones that are in it are totally obsolete and we'll be watching it and say, hey, remember when we used to fly drones that looked like that? History lesson. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, already going to get the, pretty close to that, but yeah. Yeah, one of the, one of the video clips was, make sure you, you respond to the uh, remote ID NPRM. And I'm like, that was a long time ago. And, uh, but so it's a, that's a documentary. I was reminded of that, but yeah, I agree. It's like, wow. Or it will be able to look at it and say, wow, look at that. I remember that. Every, everyone's <laughs> flying analog. The better system. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm like, I'm liking my shark bite. I still have to try a shark bite, but that means I have to buy it first. <laughs> And that's usually how that works. And all the new stuff, there's right. a bunch of new stuff coming out for Sharkbite, but it's not available to the public yet, as far as I know, like the higher output power video transmitter and better camera. Oh, you you got a better camera, right? Have you tried that? I did. I, I have not. I've okay. been uh, uh, being uh, festive and uh, with three Thanksgiving, and I've, uh, I've not uh, connected it. I, all I need to do is disconnect pull off a, a nano camera and plug it into a MIPI and uh, give it a shot. I'm, I'm excited to try it. And I put my, my ground lenses back into my uh, art goggles, so now I'll be able to see what I'm looking at. So I'm oh, did you swap those into DJI goggles or something? Okay. I did. So you and just have the one, out. the one set that you move between goggles? Well, I, I now have two sets. Oh. <laughs> so I saw <laughs> I solved that problem. <laughs> All, All right. right. What do we have for the first uh, thing from Josh on the news then? I think it was a, was it the uh, Michigan drones? From Ottawa County? Yep. That's the first link I've got there. That's the one. Okay. So this is, this is significant. And uh, Ryan Lauderette, I'm pretty sure was involved. He's posted this. Uh, and this is the second win that they've uh, that they've had, and so for uh, this is a, a significant uh, ruling by the judge because it's the in the same uh, circuit. It's my understanding, same ruling, which is the the judge said that uh, federal preemption uh, adheres to the or, or takes precedent for this case. That that's that's really good news for us from a perspective of. When a local municipality tries to put a drone ordinance in place and they overstep their authority and they're trying to control the airspace, uh, that's, that's not the way uh, our constitution with its amendments work. And so that's called federal preemption in that when the, when the federal government has authority over 
something uh, that that's the final word. And so what is happening is across the country, various municipalities uh, will uh, state that they uh, drones are not allowed to fly. Now, they can state that you cannot take off or land, but they cannot uh, have they do not have any authorization or jurisdiction uh, in the airspace. So that's uh, that's a really, really great. And uh, as I said, uh, Ryan Lauderette was involved, uh, as well as our uh, colleagues, uh, Vic Moss and Kenji Sukahara. So these guys. Okay, uh, those two were also and, involved. And help out. <clears throat> yeah. And what is what's been effective is uh, if if attorney if an attorney is available, that's always very helpful. But uh, it is uh, uh, there's a, a call to action to get folks. Um, to show up to the uh, to the uh, proceed the court proceedings, and that apparently has a very positive impact. And again, uh, we want people to show up and be professional, polite, and productive, just like signing uh, an NPRM. And that that has that whole technique has been effective. Yeah, it's too bad that uh, local cities and counties are trying to put in place rules like this. But it's good to see that they can get overturned with the right uh, organization behind it. Yep. Yeah, and we've had this uh, conversation with uh, Jay Merkel asking uh, when the uh, uh, FAA will get involved themselves. And uh, uh, they, they, the response was that they keep an eye on each of these and uh, not yet was the, was the, was the response. So uh, we also uh, keep the FAA aware of uh, what's going on as well. Next up. I, uh, I think it was Walmart. There's the link, and I'll share a screen. So this one, this one is interesting. So in the article, it describes a number of hubs that uh, Walmart is uh, uh, contemplating, and they are first starting out in their headquarters, uh, home territory in Arkansas, around Bentonville, and the area that they have. Uh, gotten a waiver for is equivalent to the state of Rhode Island in area. So it's a hmm. rather large area to get um, beyond visual line of sight uh, approval. Um, so well, we have we have mixed emotions about uh, um, uh, package delivery. It's I mean if they if they can improve the overall reputation of drones, that's good. Uh, it uh, they uh, they do go to the front of the line, it appears, and they being um, uh, certainly Google and Amazon, uh, who are, are way out in front in package delivery, and interesting to see that uh, uh, that Walmart is right uh, in there as well. I also saw they uh, took a, an equity position in a company called Drone Up Delivery. Yeah, droneupdelivery.com. Dot com. So, yeah. yeah so uh, this is they're currently uh, when, in Farmington, when, Arkansas. Farmington, well, Bennington. I, I yep. also saw, yeah, Bennington. Farmington is the location that you ben, can actually ben, do it ben right Bill. now. Mm hmm So if anybody, <laughs> any of our listeners out there are in that area and have tried it, we'd love to hear about it. I just think there's got to be so many potential problems with it. I'm sure it could work sometimes, but yeah, I wonder when we'll start to hear some of the 
stories of when it goes wrong. <laughs> and I'm, I'm oh, yeah. sure they've tested it, but like what happens if somebody's dog decides to attack it while the cord's down? Does it disconnect the cable and fly away and just leave the whatever on the ground or? Or what would be interesting is I wonder what sort of communication they've done uh, around, please don't shoot these out of the sky. Yeah, it's, that's the first thing people think of. It's a felony, mm -hmm. yeah. And I would imagine that uh, uh, that part of Arkansas is probably similar to uh, or where I live in upstate New York, where every home has at least one shotgun. I mean, it's, it comes with the house. You know, so it's uh, uh, that's normal uh, uh tools of the of living well and even if you're not doing state. anything obviously intentional like that how high are mm -hmm. they flying when they're dropping the package and what if uh your neighbor kids are out playing with a baseball baseball bat or just anything um mm -hmm. that can they can throw pretty high yeah uh, and these the other, definitely look like pretty pricey uh, yeah. octocopters the other thing i'm always curious about is you never see them delivering packages into neighborhoods that have lots of trees they're just always in these sort of modern, new, open area places with very few trees. And like, my neighborhood's not super solid, but some neighborhoods just have complete tree canopy over your entire yard. Like, where's it going to land? Well, it enters the roads first before it gets to trees and it flies over the roads. Well, it have to under fly, the tree canopy. Yeah, under the trees, over the roads. Good luck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh boy, down down with the pickups. Right. <laughs> it's going to get knocked out of the sky for sure then. Anyway, that'll be fun to, to read about at some point in the future, the, the drone delivery Absolutely. failures. <laughs> and then we've got the, uh, the, the 12 days of, uh, of drones brought to us by the FAA. So to me, this was adorable. And they work hard on the, uh, uh, on the title phrase, and then it gets really dry. But that's, you know, we, we are... The FAA. So uh, uh, they brought up uh, some some good topics, and uh, we were just talking about this earlier. It appears to be completely uh, de directed to recreational. So that's nice that the uh, and it's uh, um, the photograph on the uh, uh, on the lead-in uh, didn't look too derogatory. It looked the uh, the operator or pilot uh, looked a little uh, confused, but. Um, uh, so that was uh, that was one bit. Um, they also, if you look at uh, uh, our website on fbvfc.org, you'll see that uh, we put together a list. It's uh, pretty simple. This is what you need to fly to uh, be a recreational operator or pilot, and uh, goes through. Uh, hopefully, uh, pretty easy to read. A little easier. Uh, to digest than uh, what's up on the uh, FAA site, but uh, they they continue to uh, to work on the uh, FAA websites and try to make them a little easier. They do point out that it's uh, uh, they do want us to register, take the trust, um, carry safety guidelines, and follow the various uh, uh, airspace regulations. Yeah, another thing I could bring up here in the middle of this, uh, the, the YouTube video that the FAA created, they're talking about never interfere with wildfires response or hurricane recovery efforts. And I attended a Minnesota DNR and FAA hosted webinar where they were talking about drones interfering with the fire efforts in combating wildfires here in Minnesota. 
And I think the numbers they gave were fairly low, but it happens often enough that they're really concerned about it and are trying to brainstorm ideas to get the word out to the public that if you fly your drone near a wildfire, they have to halt their firefighting operations and try to figure out who's flying and get them to land and go away before they can start over again. Um, so whatever we can do to get the word out there to everybody to not fly your drones near a wildfire, um, yeah, that would be great. I don't know if, what else we can do, but just keep mentioning it as much as possible. And there, there are lots of municipalities that are starting up drone programs, uh, notably uh, New York City's uh, FDNY has 17 full-time uh, drone pilots. Oh, I got to meet one of them, and uh, they're getting in their, on their personal uh, flying. They're getting into FPV. So and if you're uh, in that area, if you live in the city, you know that it's uh, you have to pretty much go out uh, to the island, and if it's the island, uh, or uh, out to Jersey or up north where I live to, uh, to be able to fly legally. Um, but uh, any of these folks are very open to uh, talking to, listening to, or flying with us. So it's a, it's a great way to uh, get engaged. And if you want to help out, uh, do it from the ground and do it when it's not an emergency. Because uh, when there's a fire, that's not the time to uh, approach uh, public safety. Yep. Uh, the other thing I was going to mention in this holiday drone message is near the end of it, they say, a drone is an aircraft and you are its pilot. Even though we often hear the FAA saying that recreational drone operators are not pilots, and there's a lot of probably manned aircraft pilots who wouldn't consider a drone an aircraft. So straight from the FAA, they're saying drones are aircraft and you are its pilot. At, at least whoever made this YouTube video is. <laughs> what, was the, what was the movie? Dakota, what was his name? The meme comes up uh, where he says, uh, I'm, I'm a drone drone pilot. I guess you could say I'm a fighter pilot. <laughs> Great. <Right. laughs> Great meme. Basically a All fighter right. pilot, I guess, yeah. I guess, the, uh, uh, I guess the homework got too intense for Alex. <laughs> okay. Next up on our topic list was uh, an aerial application. And this is uh, oh, right farmers. Ag so this is interesting. So in the uh, the work that that I do with the FAA, both in the tasking groups as well as on the uh, uh, beyond visual line of sight, the to the topic of uh, agriculture uh, spraying comes up quite a bit. And I remember um, in gosh, was it uh, in twenty nineteen, the first DAC I, uh, drone advisory committee that I attended. There was a company from Seattle that uh, flew in to uh, just talk to people about finding uh, a, a drone that could uh, provide spraying. So I looked at this, and it, it uh, carries about 100 pounds, uh, so they six gallons, so pound a pint. So <clears throat> this is a, a, a definitely a, a heavy lifter, as they would say. Um, and the uh, the agricultural community is uh, uh, is a very serious and uh, an interesting bunch to work with. We had the pleasure of uh, working with the Agriculture Aviation Association, and uh, their the work that they do is dangerous, and uh, 
there's a lot of discussion in the work that uh, we work with on the uh, FAA about keeping safe um, in terms of how do you how do you not fly around uh, someone who's uh, spraying a field. So this is an application. The article is interesting. They talk about uh, one uh, the weight. They talk about the that they can cover 18 to 20 acres uh, with a a full load of uh, 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 pesticide or whatever it is that they're spraying, uh, as well as a full set of batteries with a much lower cost point, and they they can also respond very quickly. And yeah. an interesting, go ahead, Dan. Oh, I was yeah. just going to add, which is probably exactly what you're going to say next, that they can go places that say a crop duster can't. Like if your crops are or your field is bordered by trees, they can get in close between the trees and the crops where the airplane would have had to pull up and lift off farther. Um, and I think he also talked about uh, just being able to get more accurate and more closer to the edges of the farm field than even just the normal equipment would have been able to do, which I find the a corner. little bit find uh, interesting. Yeah, I suppose if you have to turn the in a corner. corner, you'll miss some of it. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. So like they might combine both things like do the do a field with a tractor but then get the spots they missed touch up spots with a drone or something like that yep. Yep. the other thing that i yeah, was look. wondering about is that if this is a hundred pounds that's well over all the stuff that we ever think about so where it's this, type certified yeah it's not a small uas under 55 pounds anymore it's well over that like what are all the different rules i've never even thought about the rules for something over 55 pounds i think it just has to be type certified from the faa for over they, they 55 probably pounds. Need, probably need a what, uh, a 135 cert? No, you can, oh, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Is it cargo if I you just spray know it out lightly? Yeah, so but with the bottom of the article said, oh yeah, you know, contact so and so if you're interested in uh, learning how to fly this. And I'm like, oh, there's you know, this is very serious uh, as Dan points out uh, above. Um, it's above 55 pounds, which is the limit for small UAS. And as Alex said, oh, it just has to be type certified, which jumps the price point of it appropriately, because that mm -hmm. means that uh, uh, this, uh, you know, you, every piece of uh, equipment, every component uh, is uh, uh, built to um, quality specifications, yeah. as well as you can track it back. And uh, the as a as a system, this has all been certified by the FAA. So a, a, a pricey and serious uh, piece of equipment. All right, next up was... FAA enforcement actions? Yes, that was it. 70 FAA enforcement actions. So I saw this one, and what really caught my attention is we hear, in, in, uh, whenever we get around uh, a, uh, an NPRM or an impending rule, uh, we hear a lot about, well, you know, the FAA can't enforce or doesn't enforce, uh, so why should I bother? And so this was interesting. Uh, from a, and the, the first thing that um, uh, he does point out, which I thought was quite helpful, and uh, this, of course, is the same um, attorney who is representing Tyler Brennan yep. in his suit against the FAA. Jonathan so he's putting Rupert. out a number... Jonathan is putting out a number of uh, really helpful uh, articles in his newsletter, and this is one. Um, but what's important is, as uh, Jonathan points out, is the FAA does not bring criminal uh, 
uh, indictments, they bring civil. And so uh, you can be fined, and they can also pull or uh, impact other certifications. So uh, we had uh, uh, one of the folks we were talking to about a year ago was an airline pilot, and he was very anxious about flying FPV. He wanted to make absolutely sure he was doing everything uh, in a legit manner because he did not want to risk having the FAA pull his pilot's license, which is his way of making a living. So um, the number uh, 0.7 on this uh, um, on this document, I don't know if we can dig into into that. Hey, we could go through each list. of the graphs if you want to. Just uh, really yeah, just, quickly. just down. Just, just down kind of real quick to, uh, I think it was item seven, was the list of uh, areas of enforcement. And so this is where the, the FAA spends time. Uh, let's see. Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pre-flight familiarization inspection, is that the one? Uh, I must be looking at a different part of the web page than you were looking at. Yeah, it is section seven. And it is hyperlinked from the top of the document. Oh, okay. That is <laughs> not labeled in any way on the the page when you're scrolling through it as number seven. Okay. Yeah. All right. Can we display it? Yeah, I've got it shared on. Uh, everybody else could can see it if you're looking at my shared screen. Yes, I will. I will in a moment. <laughs> or you can yeah. just look at yours too, and I can try to follow along. That's fine. Nope, nope, nope. Got it. Thank you. Um, I one, see it now. One thing I was curious about while you're doing that um, is this saying that there were only 70 enforcement actions, or is this just picking out 70 of the enforcement actions? The latter, just 70 of the enforcement. Okay. Do we have any idea how many yeah. total there were? I don't. I don't think the FA can release that because of privacy laws. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Um, Kevin so, said that. He said that during one of your uh, meetings yeah. or something. Yep. Said that they so can't release if, that because of that. So as you scan down this list of 10, this, so you know, what are you getting? You know, if the FAA starts investigating you and or me or Alex, what are they going to pick us, you know, pick on, you know, in from a probabilistic perspective? And they, you know, these were somewhat redundant, but they, uh, it, it really nets out to you didn't bring your documentation, you know, you know so normal, normal stuff like, yeah, yeah you're doing a part 107 pulled. operation, you don't have a part 107, right? You don't have the right mm -hmm. cert, you have, you don't have the right documentation, you don't, and then you're, then you demonstrate. Uh, careless uh, behavior, not never good. Um, That's and, interesting. Number know, so, two and number four are both careless or reckless. Yeah, but they, under they, different the parts. Of, mm -hmm, exactly. So that's why I've said they're somewhat redundant. But you get, you know, you definitely get a theme of, you know, you weren't flying, you know, in a responsible manner, and uh, you didn't have the certification. You didn't bring the safety. You know, where's the documentation? On and on. So it's, to me, it was like, oh, okay. So these are all things that we know about. 
and most of them we can uh, even if we're flying freestyle uh drew camden has had uh experience uh, around the country where uh, local police will come up and say what are you doing they explain it to them mm-hmm. and and like here put some put on some goggles and uh you know have them do a ride along and they're jazzed and that so that's uh so this one was interesting to me in terms of so uh there's also the law enforcement leap program law enforcement mm-hmm. what's the a help me alex l e uh i don't have the card with me i left that at home <laughs> law they, they gave something a... program yeah assistance it's assistance law enforcement assistance program so yeah, what happens the with the F- give you the fine stuff that's right or no actually they will they will turn you over to the faa to uh, start an investigation by the faa so local law enforcement has the authority to ask for uh, your uh, registration which has to be visible uh, on the drone they can ask what safety guidelines are you using uh, and uh, and that's about it. That's about all they'll ask for. Uh, oh, they'll also ask for proof of trust. So carry your your fancy little uh, uh, trust. Uh, I took the trust and passed, or I took trust and passed. Right. Pardon me. <laughs> duh duh. And then also with that is, I believe you can also have a you can have digital copy too. You don't have to have a physical copy. Digital copy also good. works. Good. Because that's with 107. Okay. Yeah, and I did know that with the uh, registration. That was uh, proof, as well as the guidelines do not have to be hard copy either. Okay. And no surprise, the first graph shows male versus female uh, enforcement actions. And, and two female <laughs> and 57 male and 11 redacted, but I assume those are all men as well. I don't know. They're guys. Yeah. <laughs> I They're guys. guess I'm just I'm surprised that there were two women. Uh, Same here. I was <laughs> that many. Yeah. <laughs> right. So in FPV, there's a, about a 90-10 to 95-5 ratio of uh, men to women. So uh, e- even though uh, you know we don't even need the uh, 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 the norm that uh, guys get into trouble more often mm-hmm. uh, with with the, anything that goes fast. So it, just our numbers and anything we can do to uh, attract uh, girls and uh, and women into FPV is a good thing. And I'm thrilled with uh, that in uh, FPV racing is uh, is really coming on with uh, more and more girls and women. That's great to see. Well, our next article is not going to do anything to encourage anyone to uh, start flying drones, that's for sure. Yeah, this one is just... So I read the article and <laughs> this is... This is just more I couldn't even get myself to read the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> death by drones. And so it's interesting that they use little drones uh in the on the cover and then they talk briefly about uh swarming, but they don't they don't use the word swarming. Uh and then they uh you know they, they describe a rise of nefarious usage as well as an emerging threat and this is, and then they jump and mix in uh, predator size, so uh, large full-scale uh, drones that the U.S. has been using around the world. So this this is just an, another article. It's like I, I we should be aware that this type of uh, garbage is uh, 
is happening around us and uh, my you know our response uh, when we're asked about this is yeah well, well we also uh, drones have also been responsible for saving over 750 lives over the last four years and did you hear about the uh, six-year-old in Iowa who was found in in under 10 minutes because uh, a drone had a uh, an infrared uh, capability on it and the little guy was out there for six hours until they figured out that they should use a drone to look for him so of positive stories that to me is the right response to something like this yeah there's millions of other ways people can do bad things if they want to drones are just one more of them and we really haven't seen it be used much at all so they threw out an example like oh what could a little drone do with a stadium full of people yeah and what <laughs> yeah. what could a, a water balloon launcher with something in it shot into a stadium due to a stadium full of people too like uh, <laughs> Does it have to be a drone? There's so many other things if people are creative. So, yep, like you said, this is just one of those fear mongering articles to get clicks and scare people. But then we okay. can move on to a, a, a better story that is one of those examples of using things for good. Drones for good, reforestation. So watching so you know, watching any of the videos on uh, on on this is just fascinating yep. so they're they're dropping uh Seeds. little canisters like uh, size of a puck and uh it sounds like sounds like they're putting seedlings uh in these mm -hmm. and uh, uh they did mention that uh planting the trees by hand uh has a higher uh efficacy uh, but this is a great way to uh, get this done in a in a high volume yeah, I feel like I've heard stories about this for a long time now, so it's been quite a few years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously, yeah, they've been doing it for several years. We've been using videos of tree planting in our GATA classes for a while. Yeah, and of course, this is um, uh, relevant coming out of San uh, Sacramento uh, with the they were in a in a world of hurt with uh, all the loss of. Uh, uh, all the wildfires that uh, have gone through California. Yeah, this video is going and showing lots of wildfires and damage and, yeah, replanting after a wildfire, it looks like. Yeah. Drone seed. Love it. So there was, um, before we get to the monocopter, there was one thing that I, I did want to mention, which is the... FAA issued on, uh, and uh, Alex found it. Thank you. Alex. The, I found it the Friday before when they pre-released it. It was the strategy policy on the vertical accuracy of um, the ground control station in remote ID. So if, if this isn't complicated. So there are two types of uh, remote ID. There is remote ID that is integrated uh, into uh, the UAS, and that's called a standard remote ID. And then if you want to retrofit, you can acquire a broadcast module, and then that second class is called remote ID broadcast module. For the uh, this document that the FAA put out on November 22 was a strategy policy about the vertical accuracy of the ground control station being 15 foot, 15 feet. So in other words, the uh, with a stand and it's different from a broadcast module, but the standard remote ID UAS has to 
broadcast the location of the aircraft as well as the uh, uh, controller trans or transmitter, hence the operator, uh, on a one hertz basis, so once a second. So the uh, lateral accuracy was fine. That's not an issue. And the statement of the NPRM was that this should be uh, off-the-shelf um, uh, components. And the vertical uh, accuracy for the aircraft was 150 feet, if memory suits. And the vertical accuracy for the transmitter was 15 feet. So that's a tighter... ridiculously accurate. Ridiculous. So in the... So we spent weeks and weeks and weeks on this in the ASTM F-3411 working group. We brought in some of the smartest people, certainly I have ever met on GPS. These are amazing uh, engineers from all a variety of uh, companies working on manned aviation GPS. And they are literally world experts on GPS. And their response was, wow, we've never seen anything that's so stringent uh, you know, airliners don't have a 15-foot uh, accuracy requirement. So the president of uh, ASTM sent a memo to uh, the, F, uh, the FAA, and the, this uh, uh, document on November 22nd was the response, which basically said, no, we're going to keep it at 15 feet. Now, why does the FAA want to know the vertical location or with or the vertical yeah the vertical location with 15 foot accuracy of the operator and the answer is dhs would like to know what floor of a building the operator is uh, flying the drone from so because so many people are doing nefarious things by flying drones from the eighth floor of a building inside and... <laughs> of a building <laughs> okay yeah common common sense does not really come to bears uh, from so i'm sure you can imagine some crazy scenario but yeah i don't know like somebody's out there creating these crazy ideas and then trying to pass regulation to stifle them so we are um you know what uh what recourse do we have we're really not sure but we're working to create a a concerted uh, effort so if anyone uh, listening has any ideas uh or if they have uh uh, anyone uh, that they would like us to make sure that we we contact. Uh, we're working with uh, a variety of uh, companies uh, who are also members of the ASTM working group. We're also working with uh, our colleagues uh, Vic Moss and Kenji Sukahara uh, and uh, uh, Pilot Institute. Uh, we also uh, have alerted uh, all of our uh, FPV retailer colleagues as well as uh, flight test uh, with Josh Bixler. So we will uh, we'll see what uh, uh, what makes sense, but uh, certainly uh, 15 foot vertical accuracy does not make sense. And uh, Josh Cook did a little a uh, little hunting. And uh, if you'd say, well, who cares? You know, what, what is the impact of this? Well, it, it matters from a price perspective. Right. So in, uh, we, in short, the FAA is saying yes, it is technically possible to meet this 15-foot requirement. You just have to have a GPS that can do, was it WAAS, um, which is That's the it. FAA's own like enhancement to GPS, where they've got towers across the country that allow airplanes to get greater accuracy to find their airfields, right? Something like that. Well, well, 
well described. It's so the FAA is like, hey, so no, this is logical. OPT. You can do this. Just buy this really expensive equipment and put it in your radios. <laughs> right. So we, uh, Josh found a, a, pr a price point of a, uh, of a WAS-enabled GPS at $100. The GPS cost is about $8. A non-WAS? Non-WAS, like a, a U-Block 8. Like, uh, if you look at underneath the technology of most of the GPSs that, uh, uh, like, uh, Race Day Quad sells a, a nice little, very inexpensive GPS. That's a U-Block 8 underneath. That's what the chip is. And so that goes for 3 5 You know, it's under $10. Um, the WAS-enabled GPS, $100 price point, uh, Unit 1. So you know, let's say that we could... That yeah, manufacturer... that's, that's the manufacturer's wholesale cost, right? Before they pass it on to you. If the wholesale cost is even fifty dollars, you know you have to mark up for integration of a of a chip, the software, firmware maintenance, etc. Ease, you know, this could easily add three hundred dollars to the price of a transmitter. So we take this very seriously, and again, this is not affecting the broadcast module operation of a remote ID, but it does in, impact the standard uh, remote ID UAS. And uh, they will have, the manufacturers will have to start shipping uh, that uh, in September 2022. Um, and then we're going to have to start complying in September 2023. So I've already I sort of forgotten the difference. Dates, right? Yep. Uh, the difference between standard and if you have a remote ID module. If, if DJI wants to sell a drone in the United States in a year from now, will it have to be standard compliant? Yes. So like, if it's a, yeah. like the DJI FPV radio, like this radio would have to have that $100 GPS chip in it in order for DJI fact, to sell yeah. it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example because if that's the DJI fpv drone which is sold effectively as a ready to fly you link it turn it on and it go fly that's absolutely a the, that's the definition of a standard remote id uh, if if on the other hand uh, you were uh, building your your own drone and going to fly it for recreational purposes it then the uh, it would be a, a home built and that would uh, you would be able to use the uh, remote id broadcast module for that and there's no way this can be grandfathered in because this does not have a WAS-compatible GPS chip in it today, so there's no firmware update that could possibly make it compatible. And that, I, think that's, I think that's accurate, and that, that's, what, that's one of the things we're trying to find out. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a pain. Yeah. So, well, the FAA is just going to see almost zero compliance with this uh, in the future is what it looks like. Yeah, as, we, as, we've, as we've said over the, over the last uh, almost three years now, if you come out with a ridiculous regulation, you're going to have widespread non-compliance. And if and you're talking about things that are you know, only a few hundred dollars to begin with for an entire kit, or like, um, let's say I've been, yeah, like, been seeing the, um, like the Tiny Hawk 3 ready-to-fly kit that comes with goggles, a drone, and everything for less than $300. And now you're talking right. about adding a single component that at the manufacturer's cost is adding, a third of that price. Right, or adding $300 to yeah. the transmitter. Now you've suddenly right. just 
price this thing that gets people into the hobby just totally out of reach. Right. Right out of the market. Yep. Yep. Ah. So that, that so to an, to end on more of a high note, I wanted to mention <laughs> that before the, the the cute little video of the monocopter. So I I hope Alex saw this and I hope he was if we could scroll to the uh, the video of this. This is so in I mean, is this engineer uh, uh, prototyping? Obviously, the, this young engineer has cut this out of uh, plywood. This is just, I love this. I mean, <laughs> it just looks ridiculous. Cool. It looks like something that's totally out of control, but is somehow managing to be in control. So as I'm watching this, I'm thinking of that guy over there who's sitting at the monitor thinking, does he have like a piece of steel on the back of his head? Or, or so is he going to protect himself? And or is, you know, does this guy, oh, oh, don't worry about it. It won't hurt you. They, you know, the last 10 I built, they, you know, they were not out of control at all. So, but this is great. I mean, to me, this is just fantastic innovation and Oh, yeah. So you know, a monocopter, it flies, it's controllable. And you know, why could this not be manned? Because everything is spinning. It's, it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. It's crazy. I, I, this, I love, I love the, uh, the, the thought process of, all right, don't constrain yourself with the notion of, oh my gosh, we have to keep the fuselage steady because they'll, there needs to be an individual in it. It's, let's <laughs> let it spin. All right, Alex, start <laughs> racing these. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. Uh, I, I can't imagine the camera work to uh, to watch where you. Oh, it, oh. it probably doesn't work very well FPV. <laughs> yeah, probably not. You would but need would to be, have like a would... one of those three hundred and sixty cameras motor. on there and stabilizing the video oh. in real time to keep you looking in a single direction. Or it would be a great, uh, a great party uh, game, you know, for uh, FPV racers to try to uh, just keep this thing in the air. I think that. So to me, that was it was great. I was really cheered up by the uh, by the innovation, and it's you know, so oh, there few you components, go. Like so many, Meet so many, saying, so few things. Match the shutter rate to the rotation rate, so you get one frame of video every time you spin around, and that's always facing the same oh, direction. Like the way you think, man. That's great great love that yeah so good fun any questions or comments obviously not a lot of folks on but uh i'm happy to be interrupted all right and let's see do we have another meeting in two weeks or is that uh, are we off for the rest of the the holidays good, good point i have my schedule let's see this is yeah i think this is it for the uh so unless there's some crazy news from the faa like they tend to on december 29 to do on the end of the month right <laughs> then right. this is probably our last uh community meeting this year yeah and uh, our thanks to everyone who has uh signed in and who has uh, listened and who are as uh, has watched and uh we appreciate the uh, the ongoing support and that's uh keep keep posted for those uh t-shirts i think uh, uh oh, i 
the the artwork is beautiful and i'm i'm really excited about it oh, we got one more uh, person Andy... leston who joined just at, for the very fat last few seconds of our stream excellent <laughs> welcome excellent if you have any questions let us know alex anything anything you wanted to add uh not that i can think of fly fast drone racing well, done for this given. season no, there's still races going on. I have a race this Sunday. Oh, okay. And I thought, there's I tiny whoop races. I'd figure tiny champs whoop season was over, starting. So. Ah, yes. Tiny whoop. I believe tiny whoop season starts. I believe Jesse and... Perkins is hosting something in Knoxville coming up soon, if I remember right. Oh, nice. That Joshua Bardwell was going to be at. I know Drone Zone New Jersey's putting something on on the 11th. Um. Oh yeah. Uh, Jesse Perkins reminds me. I, I, sometimes it just seems like it's a small world, out, you know, because um, somebody who I've flown drones with in my neighborhood, um, she moved away and now is, according to Facebook, dating Jesse. So it's like, oh, well, that's weird. I've never uh, met Jesse, but <laughs> I, I've met his current girlfriend and flown drones with her before. But yeah, those weird things that come up on Facebook, like and you see two people, it's like, how do you two know each other? I happen to know both of you too. Uh, funny stuff. It's not, it's not Photoshop. That's great. Yeah. Okay, and we'll we are wrapping up with the Beyond Visual Line of Sight arc. Oh That's yeah, now... how you've been attending some plenaries this week, right? Have uh, is there anything you can share? Are they coming to a consensus at all is it look like it's gonna wrap up one of these days yeah yeah consensus is happening and there are um it's it will not be um unanimous though there will be uh, uh people who will have um uh, opposing views and that's good and it's healthy um uh, so it's, it's not you know i, I don't um, I won't characterize it as, oh, yeah, kumbaya, everyone has the same idea. I mean, we've got lots of opposing camps, but we've done a great job of getting to the level of consensus that we'll have. Um, okay. So, like, in the final document, a... there'll be, like, a majority opinion, and then there's room for the dissenting opinions in there as well. Exactly right. Which hopefully exactly. someday we'll all get to be able to publicly view. Yeah, we've... <laughs> I've, I've... Had, I've had at least one commitment that yes, the document will be will be published, and the way that that has to work is the um, the document is delivered to the uh, FAA, and then the FAA has to release the document. So, if they don't do that um, punctually, uh, <laughs> I'm sure there are uh, a, a number of us that will be uh, nudging them to uh, get that out the door. So, uh, my hope first quarter because the uh the work will wrap up in january and then uh you know give the faa a little bit of time hopefully 1q 20 and that's that's 2022 first quarter just you know sure. I, I, we have to have to specify the year so uh but I, i'm optimistic now did you already talk about the the astm standard for remote id stuff um like we touched on that with that the FAA saying the the height requirement, but they still haven't come out with anything for a remote ID module. That's uh, whatever you call it. The... An up, an up, an update. So the uh, ASTM did have uh, does have a standard under F thirty four eleven, which is remote ID, and then it 
that preceded the final rule of uh, from the FAA. So ASTM has been working, and I'm part of the working group, so I'm part of the problem, has been working on an update to that standard. This is important from the perspective of that entire updated standard will, when approved by the FAA, will become a remote ID means of compliance. That will save a manufacturer of either an integrated, or that is standard remote ID UAS, or a broadcast module easily six, seven months of development time. The, there's a level of specificity, uh, as well as uh, it's uh, pre it's accepted by the FAA. Once it's approved, if I if I adhere to this recipe, then all I need is a declaration of compliance, which will be a design level, not an operational level uh, declaration, and the developer is ready to go. So you're absolutely right, Dan. That document, we wanted to get it to the FAA, updated approved, and uh, through approval in about the August-September timeframe. It is December, and it's still not uh, in the hands of the FAA. So, so any manufacturers out there who were counting on this are probably very nervous about what they're going to be able to do next year when the deadline hits. They're getting anxious. They are very, and the, the member, you know, it's a public record, I'm pretty sure, but members of the working group include DJI, I'm pretty sure Parent, Skydio for sure, uh, and others, uh, uh, including uh, radio control uh, manufacturers like Horizon Hobby, are uh, participants and members of this working group. So yeah, lots of anxiety. So, and our the DAC now called the AC, the uh, Advanced Aviation Advisory Committee, uh, we're working on one uh, tasking group. Uh, and Alex is involved in that. That's the one I've been talking about, integrating uh, aviation-based uh, STEM uh, curricula into K-12 through education across the country. So I'm learning a lot uh, that I had no idea of how even uh, our K-12 through education system works in the United States. I had no idea. I can tell you chapter and verse on how to release a, a computer into the uh, 170 countries simultaneously, but I have no idea about K through 12. So very interesting. And it's state by state is the, is the short uh, message. And that's why we have such a patchwork of, uh, of everything and uh, having to do with K through 12 across the United States. And we have a patchwork of uh, STEM programs across the United States as well. So, and I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll provide something that's useful. Uh, one of the ideas is to uh, put forward uh, a set of uh, accreditation uh, ideas or work with an accrediting body, and uh, that could provide some level of standard standardization for uh, curricula that would be FAA approved. So we'll see what we'll see what uh, we come up with with a recommendation on that or set of recommendations. Any uh, anything you wanted to add on the on PG twelve, Alex? Not really. Thank you. Covered that. <laughs> okay. All right. It's Didn't want to steal. Also, that. kind of tough to keep up with TG12 while school's going on too. So yep. it's all about and school. You got the right, you got, that's right. But but that's but he's gone through K through 12. Yeah. No, you're you've got the right priorities, Alex. Probably the closest one who re who recently went through K through 12 on the whole thing uh, by several uh, years. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably. Probably. 
The closest yeah, is probably at least a double. decade before everyone else. Probably at least a decade, if not two. <laughs> before ever four decades for some people. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. For some people. <laughs> Are you sure it's not five? <laughs> Closer to it's pretty close to five. <laughs> and they're Fine. supposed to have their recommendation, I assume, by the or their report by the next February AC meeting probably. in February. Exactly right. Yes. We will make that schedule by definition. <laughs> I guarantee it, as they uh, used to say. Hopefully have another two weeks, of, less than two weeks of school and should be also to put more effort on that. And other stuff like the 107 EV yep. loss waiver. And tiny whip yep, racing. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah. I don't tiny whip race, so... <laughs> Well, oh. now it's time to start. I'm still going to go outside and fly my 5-inch. Yeah, don't, don't let the weather stop. Other... Exactly. Dan doesn't love those videos, Dan. The crazier the weather, the better. I just need to, just need to waterproof my quad. A little conformal quad should... Yep. I have this stuff. I just haven't done it. Oh, I actually saw a photo posted on Reddit where they, they had some icing forming on the rotors of their drone i forget what they said it was like an autel drone or something it's like i'm really kind of surprised to see that actually happen like i've flown in all kinds of weather and never been in the situation where i had icing form i'm curious to know if like on an fpv freestyle flight if that would be enough to keep the icing off like do the propellers flex enough when you're maneuvering or like you're accelerating and decelerating so fast that it would break also the ice going off? at a much higher rpm yeah I mean, I, I know the, the like FAA... 60,000 RPM sometimes. The FAA is all about, you know, icing is super dangerous and, you know, never fly anything when there's any kind of uh, icing conditions. But I'm like, ah, give it a shot. I want to see what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, the worst I've that's going to happen that problem. is that the drone's going to, you know, lose efficiency and slowly come down to the ground, so. Or become a brick. Usually what happens is you get a big snowflake or ice on your lens and they have trouble seeing where you're going and then you have to mm -hmm. come in for a not clear landing. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It's just, that just leaf, sounds like any normal landing. Oh yeah. My, my last crash was a leaf. I was flying around low to the ground and a mm -hmm. leaf flew up right in front of it and it's like, ah! <laughs> I was only yeah, obviously like Ugh. a foot off the ground where the leaves were so I just disarmed and dropped to the ground. But yeah, <laughs> that happens. I don't think I've had the leaf yet. I've had water, but I don't know about... I don't think I've had a leaf. A little bug. I had a bug. <laughs> you had a bug on your lens? <laughs> All right. Well, if no one else has oh, any right. questions, should we wrap it up? I think we're good. And uh, to everyone, uh, uh, whatever holiday you celebrate, best of a holiday, and we'll, we'll talk to you in the new year. And whenever we have our next meeting, we'll post up some information and let you all know about it. Excellent. Thank you, gents. Take care. Thank you. Bye.